Hello, this is the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church, continuing through our Sunday morning sermon series through the book of First Peter behind enemy lines. This morning we'll do the first six verses of First Peter chapter three, and the title of today's message is A Wife's Submission. Please enjoy. Alrighty, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, give you just a second to, uh, to get there, 1 Peter chapter 3, sermon series going through the book of 1 Peter entitled Behind Enemy Lines, enjoyed it so far, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you have your places in 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to read the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Title of the message this morning is The Wife's Submission. The Wife's Submission. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just be with the message today as we preach your word, and as we look through the word of God, Lord, may you give us something that we all can take away from this, Lord. But I just pray that you'd be with the service this morning. May you bless the preaching of the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, personally, this is just me. This is just Brett Martin talking. Personally, I would rather be the one doing the submitting than the one making the decisions. That's me. Um, I would, uh, you know, when, when I was... Uh, working uh, at different jobs, I'd have supervisors and I'd have managers and maybe something would go wrong or an irate customer would come up and I'd be, there's the man you want to talk to right over there. He's right in that office right there. His name is James Jeffers. Go through that door. Go talk to him. He'll take care of you. And so I always liked doing that, not being the guy that had to handle all the problems and deal with all the mad customers. And I I liked being that guy. But now I've become the other guy at my job. And so now uh, at the old chain shop, when uh, an irate customer or somebody gets mad, comes up and they talk to my employees, you know what they do? They say, Guy you want to talk to, his name is Brett Martin. He's right in there. He's redheaded. He's sitting on the stool. He's right in there. Go talk to him. And they send the problem to me. Now, personally, I'd rather be the one not having to deal with the problems. It's just, you know, so really submission is the easier part than making decisions. But that being said, we have a view that the world doesn't like. We have a view 
that the world doesn't like. And we need to speak up about it. And we don't need to be ashamed of it. And we don't need to cower down behind it. And we don't need to avoid it. We need to speak up about it. Why? Because the world is wrong. The world is wrong. The world does not like what the Bible has to say about a wife's role in the marriage. The world does not like what the Bible has to say about a husband's role in the marriage. Now, husbands, you get a reprieve. It's not about you this week. I'll catch you next week. So all the men, sigh of relief. This week is about the women. (laughs) Um, You see, because... The thing is, is, is they don't like our view. They don't like what the Bible's view is. You know what the result is? The result is wrecked marriages. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That is staggering. It's a staggering number. And you know what the scary part is? That's an old statistic. It's very old. I've heard that statistic for years. It very well could be higher. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit man divorce is bad divorce is bad i come from a broken home divorce is bad now i am not saying that god can't take the results of a of a divorce and make something beautiful out of it i'm not saying god can't come in after that and take something and still make his will work god is sovereign he can do that but man divorce in and of itself is just it's no good for anybody No good for anybody. But listen, we don't need to back down as Christians. We don't need to back down and be ashamed of what this Bible says about the role in the roles in marriages. We need to plant our feet in the scripture and stand and say, this is the way it is because God said it was so. And be unashamed and unapologetic about it. The first six verses of 1 Peter, we're going to talk about Mainly the submission of a wife in a marriage. So let's, let's dive into this. Let's read the first two verses again. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, when people talk about the wife submitting, I've noticed a couple of things. And the first thing I've noticed is the critics of the Bible. When the critics of the Bible, when they talk about a wife's submission, they always uh, talk about it in this submission. It's an oppressive submission. It's It's a devaluing submission. And they attribute that to the submission that a wife has to her husband in the Bible when that's not the case. This submission is not oppressive. This submission is not devaluing to women. I'm not for oppressing women. I'm not for devaluing women. And no Christian would be. That's not what this is. The other thing I see about it is pastors. There are pastors that like to backpedal. They like to backpedal around this issue. And they like to, like to avoid it altogether. And avoid it and, and, and not teach it. Um. The, the, that one reasons, and you know, that's one of the reasons why I like going through a book from start to finish. 
You know, sometimes as preachers, we can jump around to this scripture and this scripture and kind of cherry pick what we want to preach on. But when you go on through a book from from start to end, you can't skip anything. Last week, we ended up on on first uh, Peter two. This week, it's first Peter three and the first verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. So we got to talk about it. OK, that's why I like going through a book sometimes from start to finish kind of forces me to talk about stuff that people really don't want to talk about and that might be a little controversial. And then what happens when these pastors do talk about it in a sermon or they wouldn't spend a whole sermon on it like I'm about to, uh, they, they would just have a little section in their sermon and they talk about it. And, and when they talk about it, they talk about it like this. This is what they talk about when they talk about wife submitting to the husband. They say, okay, it's not what you think and they move on. That's it. That's all they say. It's not what they spend the whole time talking about. It. It's not what you think instead of then saying, here's what it is. Okay. You can say it's not what you think, but then follow that up telling, okay, if it's not what I think, tell me what it is. And that's what we're going to do about today. I'm going to do my best to do this, even though I'm not an experienced bride. Now, why do I say that? You see, because the, the experienced bride, the older women are supposed to teach the younger women. And the experienced brides are supposed to teach the inexperienced brides this. But what I can do is I can tell you what the Bible says. I can give you the scripture. I can tell you what the Bible says about it. But when it comes down to specific scenarios and a case-by-case -case basis, young women, you're supposed to go to the older women and ask them. Young, young brides, uh, brides with not a lot of experience, you're to go to a bride with a lot of experience and ask them about this stuff on a case-by-case -case scenario basis. But what I can do is right here today, we're just teaching biblical principles here. Now, look, the whole context of 1 Peter is submission. The whole context of 1 Peter is submission. I'm to submit to the government. I'm supposed to submit to my master. I'm supposed to submit to my job. I'm, you know, uh, submission is a regular part of the Christian life. I am to submit every day. When I, uh, when I uh, put my trash can out the street on the day I'm supposed to put it out there, I'm submitting to the government. When I'm driving down the interstate and I see a 70 mile an hour uh, uh, speed limit sign, it drops down to 60, I'm supposed to slow down. And when I do that, I'm submitting to the government. Uh, you know, listen, people that have a hard time submitting, they're going to have a hard time following Jesus. We're going to have a hard time following Jesus because you submit yourself to the lordship of Christ. And when you do that, then you have to submit to everybody he told you to submit to. That's what submitting to Christ is. And, you know, you know what the enemy of submission is? I don't know. I can't tell from anybody's face in here. Everybody in here looks like they're paying attention and everything. So I'm not picking on anybody. But some people you might say this to and they might have a little chip on their shoulder. You know what the enemy of submission is? The enemy of submission is pride. The enemy of submission is selfishness. 
The enemy of submission is I want to take care of me first. I don't want to take care of other people first. I want to meet my needs first. And when I take care of my needs, then I will take care of somebody else's needs. That's the enemy of submission. The Bible even tells us we're to put other people's needs above our own. So I'm supposed to submit to everybody. Ever. I'm supposed to put everybody's needs above my own. So, you know, when it comes to the Christian life, there's a whole lot of submitting going on. Okay? I'm supposed to submit to the government. I'm supposed to submit to, uh, submit to my, my, my employer. I'm to submit to those in authority over me uh, that he has placed. I'm to, to submit, really, I'm to submit to everybody. So then when we say, okay, now you should submit to your husband, it should be, okay, just one more thing I'm supposed to submit to, no big deal. Oh, but people make it a big deal. They make it a big deal. Instead of saying, oh, well, I'm submitting uh, uh, all the, you know, uh, well, I'm submitting of all these areas in my life. Yeah, you're supposed to submit to the government. Okay. You're supposed to submit to your employer. Okay. You're supposed, really supposed to submit to everybody. Oh, okay. Uh, you're supposed to submit to your husband. Huh? Huh? What did you say? And then we get our little feathers ruffled. But, you know, since I have this attitude, as I have to submit to all these other people already, submitting to your husband shouldn't be a big deal, but yet we make it a big deal. Let me read for you Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That is a calling that God has put on the wife. I didn't put that calling on the wife. Your husband didn't put that calling on the wife. God put that calling on the wife. It is a heavenly calling. It's a heavenly calling. Oh, and just, and just so you don't think it was a typo, let me read you Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. I want you to notice a couple of things about these two verses I just read to you. First, I want you to notice that anytime you see a, it says a wife submit, it always says wives are to submit to their own husbands, to their own husbands. Women are not required to submit to men in general. You're not required to submit to men just because they're a man and you're a woman. That, that's not how this works. I don't, by virtue of being a man, have authority over every woman I come across. That's not how this thing works. Just because you're a woman and I'm a man doesn't mean I'm over you, that I have power over you or I have leadership over you. That's not what it means. Women are not required to submit to men in general. So um, it, it doesn't mean women be subject to men. So what does that mean for couples who are dating? What does that mean for couples who are dating? Look, if you got a boyfriend, I'm glad for you. He's not your husband. You don't have to submit to him. You don't have to let him be your leader. He is not your husband. He has not earned that right. If you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. Okay? Uh, so listen, he, he's not your husband. He has not earned that right. He can't tell you what to do. Now, these next, these next verses say, as to the Lord. So when a wife submits to her husband, to the Lord, that means if someone doesn't submit to their husband, 
they're rebelling against God. They're rebelling against God. You see, that's why it's so important. Ultimately, listen, ladies, ultimately, it's not about that knucklehead you're married to. It's about the king of kings, and it's about the Lord of lords. And a lot of backpedaling. When this comes up, a lot of backpedaling starts happening when this issue comes up. And, and, and here's what a lot of the backpedaling sounds like. Well, you see, when it says wives submit here, what it really means is the word submit there means respect. So submit means respect. So wives, you should respect your husbands. Well, you know, you should, everybody should respect each other. You both should respect each other. That should be done. But respect is not the same thing as this word submission here. That's trying to get around it. That's not the same thing. This word submission, it literally means, it, it, this might hurt, but this is what it means. It means to rank yourself under somebody. It means to rank yourself under somebody. You are under the authority of this other person. You are yielding the role of leader in your life to this person, and you are yielding the final decision to them. That's what the word submission means. And this submission, it's talking about the authority of the husband in the marriage. And I also want you to see, this is an act that the wife does. This is an act that the wife does, not something that is done for her. There are men out there that would use the Bible as an excuse to abuse their wives, and that is extremely wicked, extremely wicked. The Bible always tells wives to submit. It does not tell the husbands to submit their wives. That is not what it says. This is something a wife has to do willingly. It is not my job to go up to my wife and say to my wife, you are not being submissive to my authority. This is something the wife has to do on her own. She has to make the decision. She has to submit. When a wife is forced to submit, that's called abuse. That's called abuse. God doesn't call the husband to make the wife submit. It's the wife's job just to submit. Now, this message today is for the wives. Sorry, guys. You have to wait, wait till next week. So I get down to verse 7. But right now, God is telling the wives how to act towards their husbands as a way to glorify God. It's not for the husbands, it's for the wives. And then we'll turn around to verse 7 and we'll say, okay, husbands, this is how you're supposed to treat your, your wives, and that's not for the wives. That's for the husbands. Because you want to know what one of the keys to marriage is? One of the keys to marriage is doing your part without looking over your shoulder to see if they're doing their part. That is what one of the keys to marriage is. And look, ladies, I know it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But let me tell you, not only is it one of the hardest things you'll ever do, it is one of the most liberating things you will ever do in your marriage is get to the point where I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do and I'm not going to worry about the other person. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do and I'm not worried about them. It's hard but it's liberating. Ephesians 5, 23 and 24. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I just read you something that the world considers offensive. I just read you something that the world considers to be offensive. For the husband is the head of the wife. That's, that's offensive to the, to the world. Man, a liberal or a feminist will hear you that, you see steam, hear that from you, you see steam blowing out of their ears. But life, wife, let me tell you something, wife. If you can say, you, I'll tell you this, you are in a wonderful place if you can say unashamedly, my husband is my head. My husband is my head. You're in a wonderful place if you can do that. Because if you understand it biblically, it's a very healthy thing to say. My husband is my head. But there's some women who'll hear that and I'll say, you ain't my head. You ain't head of nothing up in here. You know? And, 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 it, and it offends them. But you see, modern day feminists, they call this offensive. They call it outdated. They call it abusive. But we as Christians, we got to plant our feet in the word of God. And we got to say, this is what the scripture teaches. This is what the Bible says. And I trust God. And not only do I trust God, but I trust that this is the way marriage is supposed to work because God said it was so. That's what the Bible teaches. I trust the word of God. Listen. It is impossible for your marriage to have two heads. It's impossible. It's in, it is impossible. You know, um, let, let, me, let me say, what would you do? Let me, let me just give you a hypothetical question. This is hypothetical. What would happen if you and your wife or your husband, what if y'all disagreed? Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. You know, maybe a time or two it may happen, but, but what if, let's just hypothetically say, you and your spouse disagree on something. Let's just say that. It might happen once or twice. Let's say you disagree on something that you're both passionate about. How to discipline your family. What family traditions to re-raise the kids up in. I'm not saying religious traditions. I'm just saying each, each family's got their own little traditions. Maybe you're passionate about that. Maybe where you're going to move, where you're going to live, what church you're going to attend, whether you're going to buy that boat or not. And you and your spouse go round and around and around in this argument, and y'all just going around and around, and in your head eventually both of you thinking, well, eventually somebody's got to win this thing. Eventually somebody's got to win. You know, it's been said that Whoever runs the marriage is the meanest. Well, that may be true in some marriages, but that's not true in a godly marriage. Because in a godly marriage, it's the husband that has the final say. It's the husband that has the final say. Biblically, that's the way it is. Scripturally, that's the way it is. Now look, I'll tell you right now, my wife's a lot smarter than I am. She's more practical than I am. She'd probably make better decisions than me. But this is the way it is. This is the way. Okay? Because the scripture said so. 
Excuse me. If you don't have, I'm sorry. I cracked the joke and these two are cracking me up. <laughs> I did. That's my, it's my fault. All right. Listen, I'll just look over here for a little while. If you don't have a clear head in the home, then you get ready to live in a war zone. If you don't want to live in a war zone, you've got two choices. You can flip a coin or you can do what the Lord says. And where this started, this all started back in Genesis 3.16. Let me read that for you. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Some will look at this first and say, oh, well, you know, when it says desire be to thy husband, all that means that you're supposed to love your wife. <clears throat> no, that's not what it means. Look, I mean, you're supposed to love your husband. That's not what it means. Loving your husband is not a result of the curse. OK, that's God didn't curse you by loving you. No, you got to love your husband. You know, that's not a result of the curse. OK. It, that literally means that they're to have the authority over you. God, look, God uses the same language in the very next chapter when he's talking to Cain. When he didn't accept Cain's offering, he says, sin lieth at the door, but its desire is, is to thee, but thou should rule over it. What that means is, is that it was, wants to rule over you, but you should rule over it. That's the same language there. Okay? So it, it means what it means. So the issue started way back then. Let's go back to the first verse uh, in 1 Peter 3.1. Likewise, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, that if many obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So wives, submit to your husbands. This is not just for godly husbands. This is not just for wives that have godly husbands. This is for wives that have ungodly husbands. This is for wives that maybe has a lost husband. Or maybe your husband is saved, but your husband is backslidden. It doesn't matter. This is for everybody. Whether your husband is lost or whether your husband is, 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 is saved, but backslidden from God. Uh, if you're like that, let me tell you this. One of the best ways to evangelize your husband one of the best ways to bring your husband back to God is to submit to him. Submission is the greatest tool that a wife has to evangelize her husband. Unless he tells you to sin, submit to him. But here's the question. When is it okay to rebel against your husband's authority? When is that okay? You know, we look at it, we look for it in the scriptures and uh, I, I looked around and I really, uh, throughout the Bible, I really only found one kind of instance, one kind of instance where a wife rebelled against the authority of her husband and it was kind of considered okay. Now, it's found in 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 25 and it's a woman by the name of Abigail. Now, instead of reading the whole chapter, I'm just going uh, to tell you the quick story. David 
is running from Saul. Okay, he's running from Saul and he's but even though he's running from Saul, he, he's still uh, not a bad guy. Um, uh, he was he was he's killing uh, uh, Philistines and keeping foreigners out of the land. He's still protecting the border of his borders of Israel. And one time while he's running from Saul, but he's still protecting Israel. He happened across this this sheep herd and these shepherds and maybe the Philistines or another outside foreign government, uh, foreign country was trying to get at these sheep and these shepherds. But. The, uh, but David became the guardians of these sheep and shepherds. For a whole season, his soldiers watched after these, this herd and these shepherds, okay? Well, he didn't, David didn't ask anything in return, and everybody went out about their way. And it just so happened that those sheep and those shepherds happened to belong to a man named Nabal. Okay, so here it is some time later and and David's running low on food and David's running low on supplies and it's a feast day in Israel and they've got no food to eat. And so David sends two men to Nabal's house and say, look, hey, we need some food. Uh, We need some supplies. I need you to I need you to help us out. And so he sent two guys to, to Nabal's house to try to get some supplies. Well, these two messengers, they got to Nabal's house and they explained the situation to Nabal. And they said, Nabal, we, we looked after your sheep, we looked after your herds, and the enemy didn't hurt your herds and flocks and servants because of us. And we didn't ask anything for you in return now, but right now we're in a bad way. We need some food, we need some supplies. Can you help us out? And Nabal looked at these two messengers and said, Who is David? Who is David? And 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 for that matter, who are the servants of David? I don't even know who you are. Get off my property and don't come back. He was very, very rude to these guys. And so these messengers went back to David and told David what Nabal told him. And David saw red. David got hot. And he said, okay, look. 200 of you stay here at camp. The other 400 of you grab your sword. We're going to Nabal's house. And by in the morning, won't nobody be standing there. And so David took off toward Nabal's house. Well, while all this was going on, two of Nabal's servants came to his wife, Abigail. And they came to Abigail and they said, Abigail, listen, uh, we, you know we can't talk to your husband. Nobody can tell him anything. He won't listen to us. But you need to know what happened. So the servants told Abigail what happened. Abigail was not a dummy. Abigail was not stupid. Abigail knew who David was and he knew because of what Nabal did. He, she knew what David was going to do. So she got donkeys and, and she, she uh, baked cakes and raisins and apricots and, and she, she loaded up all the food and supplies. She loaded up the raiment. She loaded up some money. She got these donkeys and she took off towards David. But here's the key to this whole story. She did not tell her husband why. He had stopped her. He had stopped her. And so she got on the road and she got to David and she met David and she got down off the donkey in front of David and said, listen, David, uh, here's what happened. Uh, uh, we're very sorry. We understand you, you, you helped our sheep and you helped us and we're very sorry. My husband's a hard man. And hey, look, you know, uh, this is uh, this is just from us. Take all this stuff right here. And she even looked at David and said, David, you know, a future king wouldn't wouldn't be doing what you're about to do. 
So David thought for a second. He said, you know what? You're right. I am the future king, and I should, you know, if Abigail, if you hadn't come here, if you hadn't stopped me, there would not have been one male standing in the morning at Nabal's house. So you better be glad you came, but you know what? You're right. Vengeance isn't mine. I'm going to leave vengeance up to the Lord. And he turned around. You know what happened to Nabal? He heard what Abigail did behind his back, and he got so mad that he had a heart attack and died right there. So I look at it that, that like, okay, David was going to take vengeance on his own, but he gave the vengeance to the Lord, and the Lord took care of Nabal. But back to, to what we're talking about in our, in our message today. When is, it, when is it okay for a wife to rebel against the authority of her husband? When there is a life-threatening scenario, the wife must do what is needed for the protection of her household. For the protection of her household. You know what this, I believe this applies to? I believe this applies to abusive situations. Look, any physical abuse is life-threatening. Any physical abuse is going to lead to something that is life-threatening. Okay? I, I, I honestly believe that. It doesn't matter what the, what the abuse stems from. Maybe mental health issues. Maybe drug abuse. Maybe alcohol. It doesn't matter. Hey, listen. When, when, when the wife throws the kids in the car and tries to take off down the road and the husband's kicking in the fender, screaming and cussing and threatening, she did the right all physical abuse leads to a life-threatening situation. But barring a life-threatening situation, submit. Submit. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on an apparel, but let it be uh, the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So what this verse is talking about, it's talking about arranging the hair, putting on jewelry, wearing nice clothes, nice dresses, things like that. So some have taken this to mean that Christian women, they can't do anything fancy with their hair. They can't wear jewelry. Their clothes have to be plain and unattractive. I guess you're supposed to wear sackcloth and ashes to church. I don't know. But they take that to mean that this just isn't the case. If it is, the Bible contradicts itself. Because the Proverbs 31 woman, she's decorated quite nicely. Okay? So that's not what this means. The warning here is don't let your adorning be merely outward. In fact, it says that in the New King James Version. It says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. You know what the danger you're being warned against here, ladies, is? The danger, ladies, that you're being warned against is don't be the pretty girl who's really shallow. That's the warning here. Don't be the pretty girl who's really shallow. And this happens when, we, when you focus on the outside instead of focusing what's on the inside. There are plenty, plenty of pretty girls out there. They're, they've got the attitude of a rabid dog. They'll just attack anybody that comes up to them. 
There are other pretty girls out there that have the attitude of a rock. There's just, there's nothing in there. There's no substance. There's, there's nothing useful. There's nothing at all. But then there are women who dress nice. They care about their appearance. But they're also some of the most meek and pleasant people you will ever meet in your life. Proverbs 31.30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know the reason why beauty is vain? Because sadly, because it is so incredibly temporary. It is so temporary. I mean, the movie stars of 20 years ago, they're on the tabloid magazine covers today talking about how they didn't age well. I mean, because beauty is just is so vain, it's so temporary. And that's why that's why you need to right now not put so much value on outward beauty, because if you do, that beauty is going to fade away one day and you're going to lose your whole identity. So that not doesn't need to be the main focus of your uh, uh, of yourself. And look, the old, you know, older actresses and it ain't just the actresses, it's the actors, too. Older actresses and actors, they, they spend all the money they made on plastic surgery to keep their youth and keep their beauty. My mom and dad, my mom had the big blonde hair, so she was Dolly Parton. My dad had the, the white beard, so he was Kenny Rogers, and that's what they called my mom and dad. Now, Dolly and Kenny, they love the plastic surgery. Have you seen Kenny Rogers lately? He don't look like Kenny Rogers. I don't know who he looks like, but he doesn't look like himself. Because people are all wrapped up in this outward appearance thing. And instead of being wrapped up in someone's outward appearance, you need to focus on what's on the inside. I know it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. It's cliche for a reason. Man, you were really patient in that situation. You're beautiful. You know, you gave the gospel to that person and those people laugh at you and they mocked you for it. But that's beautiful in the eyes of God. God sees you as beautiful for that. Beauty isn't outward. Beauty, real beauty, is a reflection of what's in the heart. Which brings me to my next verse. I'm going to read you. Proverbs eleven twenty two. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman, which is without discretion. When I was in Bible college and I was looking for a wife, I'd always be like, is that the one? Is she the one? Now, the thing about in Bible college, I'd ask that question seven times a day. Is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? I keep asking that question. But you see this girl and you think, man, she might be the one. And so you start watching her. But then as you watch her, maybe she acts inappropriately. Maybe she says a cuss word or, or does something dirty. Or, or, maybe, or maybe even she's really mean to somebody with no reason. Oh, she doesn't have a heart for Jesus. Ring in a pig's nose. That's all that is. See, her beauty turned ugly. It's such a shame and a waste when an outwardly pretty girl on the inside is just such an ugly person. Because look, the inner person is what matters more. The inner person is what matters more. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Do you care more about your appearance 
than you do your character. Think about that. Next, it says a meek and quiet spirit. Now, this word meek, this word meek, it means gentle. It means humble. It means meek means not causing trouble. Look, ladies, just because you're meek doesn't mean that you're just something for somebody to roll over. Okay, I don't mean that gives other people the, the chance to steamroll over you. That's not what being meek means. You can be meek and have a strong personality. Jesus is the most meek and humble person that ever walked the face of the planet. But you can't tell me he didn't have a strong personality. Ask the money changers at the temple what they thought about Jesus' strong personality. You can be both and quiet. This is a misuse of the word quiet as it relates to a wife. Sit in the passenger seat. Be quiet. The men are talking. No. X on that. That is not what that means. Know what that word quiet means? It means peaceful. It means restful. A couple years ago when we took the teenagers to Percy Quinn, one morning I got up from the cabin and I went outside and it was early. The sun was just coming up. The fog and the mist was still on the lake. There were no uh, fishing boats on the lake yet. So the, so the water was just calm and, and peaceful and restful and, and quiet. So meek is not causing trouble. And quiet is taking in stride the trouble that other people causes. Now verse 5 and 6. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So basically, women, you have examples in the Old Testament of women that you can look up after and women you can model after. And same with us men. We've got men in the Old Testament. Now, we can look up after and we can model after. In fact, that's what we're doing in our men's meetings. We're going through the Old Testament and we're going through these men in the Old Testament that we can model after and look up after. But there's a phrase here that I want to talk about. It says in the Bible, it says, Sarah called him Lord. Hmm. Interesting. Marcus, it looks like you've got a new nickname. Let me tell you a quick story before I go any further. I grew up saying yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to everybody. I don't care who you are. I said, if you were a woman, I said yes, ma'am, and no, even if you're a girl that was younger than me. I said yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to every girl. That's just how I was raised. So when me and Emily started dating, I would say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to her, and she got a kick out of it. She thought it was funny. Well, after dating a little bit, nah, I didn't tell her to do this. I didn't tell her to do it. She started saying, yes, sir, no, sir, to me. But it, it was just a little inside joke we had with each other. It wasn't like I was forcing her to do it. She did it on her own. Well, then we go, she takes me home to meet her family. And I remember the first time we're sitting in the kitchen, and she said, yes, sir, to me in front of her mom. Her mom's eyes got that big, and you could see her taking a deep breath and winding up. What are you doing with saying 
And then I had to, well, then I had to explain to her what I explained to you. Okay, so it was. Uh, so no, I'm not saying. So I'm not saying call your husband Lord today. In fact, the reason why. Let me explain why. Why you don't do that? Because the term Lord today, it's not the same word that that, that Sarah used. The word Lord today is not the same word that that. that Sarah used the term Lord we have today we would never call anybody we would never call anybody it was not appropriate for my wife to call me Lord because it's not the same word today as it was when Sarah used it to her to call her husband that the word Lord back there it for lack of a better word it kind of meant boss it kind of meant person who has the final call chief that's what it meant it, it meant when you called someone Lord back then, it meant I defer authority to you. That's what it means. It means, it means she is acknowledging his authority in the household. Basically, she's saying he wears the pants. Okay? Now, husbands, take a cue here. Because if husbands, if you're not willing to wear the pants in your family, you're failing and you're calling. Because sometimes husbands force wives to take authority because they're dropping the ball and they're not doing their job. But that's for next week. Y'all got something to look forward to. Look, marriage, it's not primarily for your happiness. It's not what it's for. Marriage is primarily to glorify God. That is what it's primarily for. But if I go in it, and my only goal is my happiness, I won't get it. And that's what leads to divorce. Because if your happiness is the only goal you have, and then by doing right, you don't get that happiness, you'll stop doing right. And your marriage will be destroyed. And you won't honor the Lord. Now, ladies, I know this is a hard pill to swallow today, maybe. But listen. I promise you, if you do what the Bible teaches in your marriage, you will have a pleasant marriage. You will glorify God in your marriage. You'll not only grow, you and your husband will not only grow closer to each other, but both you grow closer to God. It may be hard, but it is right.